This is an ABC podcast. Virtual meetings are one thing, but have you had to start a job or leave a job via Zoom? I'm Lisa Leong, and on This Working Life, we're going to hear some disaster stories, but also how it can be well managed. First stop is close to home, the ABC. I'm Larissa Dubetsky. Formerly, I was a freelance journalist. I started at the ABC in June as a communications advisor in the internal communications team. The onboarding was was quite interesting because it was simply a case of going into ABC's Melbourne headquarters at Southbank, picking up my computer, and that was it. And then I work with a very small team of about eight people, so it was all done via phone and Microsoft Teams. I think mostly that employers onboarding staff remotely just need to remember that first day nerves are a very real thing, even though they're being experienced remotely. I think checking in is is a really great thing, just if the main team members can check in over the first couple of weeks, especially. Just how are you going? You know, what can we do? And just keep those lines of communication open. It does make it a lot better. One of the things that really struck me was that a number of the team members, after we met officially on a Microsoft Teams meeting, a few of them took it upon themselves to just call me privately. And that meant a lot to me. It was um, just a way to actually get to know them a little bit one-on-one. And I think myself, along with a lot of other people, find those virtual face-to-face meetings to be a little bit... um, a, a bit tricky when you're first meeting somebody. So keep in mind when you do have a colleague who's starting that it might be a really great thing just to reach out to them independently. Ethan Bernstein is Associate Professor of Organisational Behaviour at Harvard Business School. You may have heard him last week crystal ball gazing on the future of working from home. Well, he also has this advice on onboarding staff remotely. So three dear friends of mine, Dan Cable, Francesca Gino, and Bradley Stotts, have done work on onboarding or socialization and recently published, it was a couple of years ago, a, a slow management review article about the two ways of onboarding a person. One is to program them, if you will. This would be my words, not theirs. They would have a, a more eloquent way of saying that. But we, <laughs> we do take new employees and expect them to learn how things are done around here. And part of that comes in the form of videos and talks and readings and other ways of informing somebody what it means to be an employee of this company. And then the other process is we tend to hope that new blood will bring fresh perspectives. And so there's an accompanying process by which we hope a new employee, an onboarded employee, will bring new ideas, fresh perspectives, tell us how not just they're going to do things the way we've always done them, but tell us how we should change, not this they, to make a better organization, Mm. not just one that they fit into or are forced to fit into. So that it's not just about the mold and learning the mold, it's also about helping to break the mold a little bit. And those two aspects of onboarding are equally important in most contexts. The problem is that at least as I've seen it, one of those is easier to do virtually than the other. So it's very easy, Lisa, for me to put together some videos and other materials and maybe even a chat bot that answers questions Mm -hmm. such that when you join my company, I can tell you how you're supposed to act, what the norms are around here, how we all work around here. Um, It's much harder for me to ask you to come and explain to everybody your strengths and how you can really have a deep impact on this organization quickly 
and have people trust that that's the case if we don't have a lot of high bandwidth interactions, which tend to be easier in person than virtually. And so that's actually a challenge. If you're out there trying to figure out, how do I have a really good virtual onboarding experience? I hope that 20% of your investment is in the videos and materials and other virtual delivery systems for getting the word out about what this organization is like. And 80% of the effort is actually finding a way to ensure that the people that are currently in the organization get a chance to meet with and learn from the new recruit before the new recruit becomes so not new anymore that they can't bring those fresh perspectives to all of us. Now, I know you like a good theory. So do you have a theory as to what we might do then to remotely onboard people better? So I'll I'll give you an example from here. We just had a new faculty member join us in the OB unit at the Harvard Business School. And our unit head, the chair of our department, asked those of us who are not senior to find a way to welcome him uniquely. During his introductory session, we actually had a meeting purely devoted to having him meet everybody virtually who's in the unit. And being the creative types we are, we, we that, that may not, you laugh when you hear that about a business school professor, why do you laugh? Um, no, we really are. We, um, we put together a video and each one of us did a little bit of a clip about this and a little bit of a clip about that. And then one of us who has editing skills put it together and we showed it to everyone. And it, it actually made everybody feel a little bit more engaged in the unit. And it gave him a sense for who we are. And then we asked him to spend some time with us, each of us individually, together in small groups, in large groups, if you will, doing the same thing back with us. He's now almost a month in. He started July 1st. And this Friday, he and I are going to have lunch on Zoom. That will be conceivably each of us making lunch in our respective kitchens and then eating and just I'm going to ask him about him. I'm going to ask him about the aspects of him that I don't know. And I'm going to ask him about the work that he's doing and how the unit can help and how I can help. And if nothing immediate in terms of next steps comes out of that 30 minutes or 60 minutes, at the very least, I will have hopefully created a weak tie. Weak ties are connections between people who know each other, but not particularly well. And although these more incidental relationships can be hard to establish virtually, They can be very important at work. With me now is Gabrielle Harris. Gabrielle is CEO of management consultancy Interchange. Hello, Gabrielle. Hello, how are you? Good. Why is it important to get it right when we bring new staff into a company, what some call onboarding? Yeah, look, it's really important to get this right, regardless of whether you're uh, face-to-face or virtual, because those people become a critical part of your culture and your culture is actually instrumental in driving your strategy. And what are some things that we need to think about when onboarding people remotely? So for those organisations who are in a privileged position at the moment to be hiring, it's really important to think about what are the ways that you can integrate the new employee into the organisation so that they can add value to your culture. Much like we've already heard, it's important to recognise that they're coming in with a fresh set of eyes. And so it's not just about you enforcing upon them what they need to do. It's also about how are you learning from them. So those early interactions become really important. Some of the things that we've learned is that having one-on-one engagements 
is more effective. So if it comes down to talking about the role and the task, doing that in an individual way is more effective than in a group way because, of course, lots of faces on Zoom can be very intimidating. So when it is going to be collective virtual discussions, they need to be discussions that are based around your values so that those people can see how your values come to life. Right. Fun, high energy and really inclusive. And should the one-on-ones be formalised? Because the stories were really about it being sort of an informal way, uh, nice to have rather than a formality. Look, I actually think both have their place. So one of the things that um, we've been doing in our organisation and helping other organisations to do is playing coffee roulette. So we've got a, a virtual wheel of fortune, if you like, and we spin the wheel and whoever's name it lands on, those two individuals catch up and have a coffee in that week. Now, whether that's something for a new person or for a, for the existing team, it's really effective because it just makes you plan it in your week. Sometimes we're so wrapped up in what we've got to do ourselves that those individual reach outs fall away. When you've got somebody new in, it becomes so important that everybody reaches out. So there is a formalising it can actually be quite effective. That informal, absolutely, it is It is lovely to receive a call from somebody that you weren't expecting. What disaster stories have you heard, Gabrielle? Oh, a lot. <laughs> I, look, this is a really difficult time for every human. Like, I, I don't know of anyone that's fully escaped challenges through this time. I've heard disaster stories of people starting in their role. They have no tools. So if it's an office job, they don't have a computer, they've got no phone, they actually have no access to contact anybody. Like Mm. all of that part was completely forgotten about. No one had checked in with them about whether or not they had the capability to work from home if there was a safe environment in their home for them to work. Those hygiene factors are more easily forgotten when people are remote and it does not leave a good taste in the the mouth of the new starter and actually drops their engagement pretty quickly. I've also heard stories about people who have started and have not heard from anybody for a whole week. So they got sent their job description, they were told what they needed to do, but they were left entirely to their own devices to work out what it was that they were supposed to do, who even managed them. Like they actually had no idea who their manager was. And you can't wander around the office and see if you can pick up any clues. No. And I've heard these stories for years, but normally, as you say, you've got a friendly sitting next to you and you turn around and say, look, I've got no idea what I'm doing or who I even report to. Can you help me? And inevitably, that individual says, yeah, of course, no problem. Let me help you out. But we don't have that remotely. So that sense of isolation increases exponentially. And are there issues with taking your traditional onboarding and then trying to plonk it into our remote working world? Oh, massively. (laughs) (laughs) Firstly, I would put it out there that many organisations do not have a terribly effective onboarding program to start with. And then when you try and turn that into a virtual situation or scenario, it gets even worse. Have you got a specific example of something which was either bad to start with and even worse or was okay and then now terrible? (laughs) 
<laughs> so in a telco company um, that we've been working with, they, for their um, retail staff, had a three-week-long induction program in a classroom. So that uh-huh. means you show up every day and you sit there and you go through process by process for three weeks. Firstly, that's not terribly effective for any knowledge retention. You know, human beings cannot take that type of information in and retain it. But in addition to that, you can imagine that now turning into a virtual setting. So you need to sit between nine and five <laughs> for three weeks. Really? in front of a computer. Now, it's changed now, but that happened for two months before somebody said, I don't think this is working terribly well. So (laughs) you can imagine the experience and the cost of all of those people who sat through three weeks of an induction program virtually. Gabrielle, what are touch points and why are they important? I don't have the exact scientific data for you, but I do know that it takes anywhere between five to 10 touch points for somebody to feel truly connected and immersed in understanding what the organisation is trying to achieve. So those, those touch points are really critical, if only for engagement purposes. I think um, actually Gallup released something that actually stated that 31% of all employees are feeling engaged at the moment because of this virtual situation. So you can imagine for a new starter how challenging that would be. And how would you define a touch point? It's an engagement with another. Yeah. So it could be a telephone call. It could be a, a Zoom catch-up with one individual. It could be a um, a group, a right. group engagement. But Oh, it can also be email. So if you want to get down to the nitty gritty of it, you can have a touch point through an email, but it's not anywhere near as effective. So it's that human engagement is a touch point. Uh, And so what about from the employee's perspective? What can they do to be proactive in helping themselves assimilate remotely? Be proactive, contact your peers, ask them, what's it like to work here? What are the unwritten rules that I'm uh, uh, that I need to know to be successful in this organisation? What's your perspective of leadership here, and how do I succeed in doing the job that I'm here to do? If you're proactive in asking that information, people are very, very open to um, opening up and giving you a whole lot of intel that you wouldn't have otherwise got. So I would say that that is the number one thing to do if you're starting a new job in a virtual setting. Okay, let's turn to the other end of the employee life cycle when it's time to say goodbye. My name is Sarah Somerbell and I'm a lawyer specialising in employment law. I was previously working in Houston, Texas And uh, due to the pandemic, I made the decision to come back to Australia. Really, I guess the the major sign for us was that the the rodeo closed in Houston. The rodeo is one of the largest in the world, if not the largest, with over 2 million people visiting every year. And approximately, I guess, a few days into the rodeo, they had to make the decision to close it with the developing pandemic. Not long after that, our organisation made the decision that everybody would be working from home. And it was, for me, a time of realisation around what might be happening. It was very uncertain. And after I was alerted that the Australian borders had been shut, with some discussion with loved ones back here, I made the decision that 
it might be prudent to leave. And I ended up packing up my life in four days. Uh, I'd been living over there for, for a couple of years. So that involved packing up an entire home, getting rid of my car and everything and getting on a flight. And I ended up getting just about the last flight out of Houston with Air New Zealand. It was a very eerie experience. So I guess what that all means is that when you're doing everything in a rush, it really doesn't provide the opportunity to do the usual farewells that you would do, whether it's a lunch or drinks or being able to really acknowledge and thank the people that you've worked with. And I think because of that, it probably leaves you with a sense of loose ends that are not quite tied up because you've not had the opportunity to to have that closure that you would normally experience. Gabrielle, do you think it's an impossible ask for Sarah to be able to get closure in that sort of exiting of a company? What are some things managers and other team members can do to create closure? It's a difficult one, this one, particularly in Australia when you, when you look at our legislation from a redundancy standpoint. There are some challenges with really bringing empathy to the fore, but it's so important. It's so important for the human experience, just like we've heard. I've seen this done really well and I've seen it done terribly, but it is critical to how somebody departs a business. Where was it done well? Uh, one of the organisations, another organisation that we work with actually, they had an individual that was made redundant and asked for some support in how they bring meaning to that experience. And what they actually ended up doing was a, a virtual cocktail party. So it was getting everybody involved in the evening. Uh, everybody had their own little canapes, et cetera, out and they all had their favourite cocktails and they sat around and told stories about that individual and the meaning and the purpose that, that that individual brought to their working lives. And it was really special. In addition to that, they made a book that had been sent to him, little stories about, again, those experiences that meant a lot to that individual who'd been with the organisation for a very long time. And why is it possibly a risky thing for a manager to do from a legal perspective? Um, there, are, there are lots of cases, unfortunately, whereby when an individual particularly is made redundant, there's a lot of grief and anger that, that goes with that. So things like apologising and saying sorry are unfortunately things that people can take legal action around. Um, I'm not a lawyer, so I can't go into the in, ins and outs of that, but it, it is quite complex and there is a rule book around these are the things that you're allowed to say and not allowed to say and if you say this, you need to understand that you're putting yourself and the organisation at risk. Mm. Of course, those things are in place for a reason, but it absolutely prevents people from, I guess, having that sense of connection after somebody leaves, which, which I find really sad. And what about when you're laying off multiple staff? Yeah, well, we've seen a huge amount of it, haven't we? Mm. Uh, again, this can be done well and it can be done badly. I know of examples where 20 people have been laid off in a day and it was done via email. In one case, an individual found out from a colleague that they were no longer employed because they weren't on their email that afternoon. Oh. Um, there was no telephone interaction around it. It simply was you're no longer employed in this organisation and here's your uh, package details. It, it actually scars people. It, it knocks their confidence and going into a market 
that is is not prosperous. I think that that is is concerning. We have to care for people when they come in whilst they're within an organisation and when they leave. It's really important to to that individual, but it's also important to the brand of the company. And now to when your exit from a job is planned. In February this year, Sandy Webster retired from her role as a logistics manager after 25 years in the job. Let's hear from Sandy. The company farewelled me with a a Zoom meeting with most of the closest colleagues I had during my working career. The best part of that Zoom farewell meeting was that partway through it, the present that my colleagues had bought for me for my retirement was delivered to my door. So I was able to show them what they had bought me and to thank them. The only thing that I fear that I may have missed out on with retiring during the time of COVID is the extensive lunches and um, dinners that I may have shared with both work colleagues and our suppliers. Normally that would be the kind of thing that would happen when someone retires, especially after the same longevity as I have had with the company. The main advice I would have for managers who are dealing with employees retiring in this time of COVID would be to make sure that the formalities, I think, of somebody exiting a business are followed as well. It's easy to do a Zoom meeting and for it to be informal, but I I particularly like those formal kind of speeches that acknowledge the contribution that a person has made to a company and the thanks that the company wants to extend to that person for their service over however many years it's been before they retire. I think that's the most important thing is the recognition for the individual of what they have contributed. Gabrielle, do you agree with Sandy that the formalities are important? Absolutely. It is really important to formally acknowledge the individual and most of the time that needs to come from the manager or someone very senior in the organisation. I guess the positive about being virtual at the moment is that that is also something that you might be able to record and play to others. So if you think about face-to-face, normally there is a, taking Sandy's story, there is a leader that will stand up in a workplace setting and say, this is what Sandy has brought to this organisation. We've been so grateful for her contribution. In a virtual scenario, you can actually press record and then show that to friends and family. So it's not all downside. There's a lot that can be done with what we have and can actually provide opportunities that we wouldn't have otherwise had. So um, I think it's just about being creative and really thinking about how can you formalise these things in a way that adds value. And Gabrielle, do you have an example of a well-handled retirement? I have. I've, I've been seeing a lot of retirements handled very well. One of the things about retirements, of course, is that um, it's by mutual agreement. So there is typically a lot more kindness and empathy that goes with those types of departures over redundancies. Uh, and I've seen it, it really does need to be the senior leaders of the business that acknowledge those individuals publicly. And whilst that's hard to do, Some of the bigger organisations are still doing what they call the town hall meetings and that's one whereby the the leader invites in the whole organisation or a particular region and um, calls out these 
these individuals and, and what they have achieved throughout their career. I think that that's important because it really shows uh, true appreciation for the individual. In addition to that, small teams actually rally around them and, and give them that love and support. Um, and then they continue on to stay in touch with them. And that's really important when somebody's moving into retirement. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Gabrielle. Pleasure. Gabrielle Harris, CEO of Management Consultancy Interchange. Next time, what's happened when you've jumped to a conclusion at work? Has it served you well or have you ended up stuck in what our guest Dan Markovitz calls the conclusion trap, which he says can result in poor decisions, squandered money and ultimately failure to solve the problem? This Working Life is produced by Maria Tickle, who makes a thousand and one tiny decisions in the making of each and every episode. I'm Lisa Leong, and until next week, keep working. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.